Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, Thomas and the Centurion's Faith. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Praise the Lord. While people are coming in, I'd just like to say we spent one day in Phoenix this last week um, setting up a crusade, which is a new part of our ministry. We're going to hold large-scale citywide crusades, and I tell you, it was tremendous. It may not sound like much to you, but God really did a miracle for us. Uh, it was powerful. People got turned on, and we're going to see some good things happen through that. Also, I spent time last week up at uh, Greeley with Dave Duell for the World Evangelism Seminar. We got Don Sims with us, going to share this morning. You all will be blessed, but it was a good time. There were some powerful things happening up there. I'm sure Pastor Dan's already shared some of that, and will again. This morning, we're going to continue our series. We've already done a series on spirit, soul, and body. And about the last three times, we've been teaching on faith. And we've been going through just some basic things about faith and about how to receive from God. Anybody remember what we talked about last week? I'll give you a test. I know some of you were here. I saw you. Faith and hope. Did you pull a tape out and look at it, brother? That's terrible. Anyway, the week before that, we talked about the law of faith, that faith is not something that only works at certain times, and it is not God that just decides, I'm going to answer this person's prayer, and I'm not going to answer that one. God has made himself conform to laws, and you can touch God in faith, and faith works. It's important that you get that kind of understanding or you will let the devil talk you out of a lot of things saying, well, you know, it's just not going to work for me today. You've got to know that there are laws that govern it just as sure as electricity or gravity or whatever. And last week we talked about faith and hope. Hope is the first step in faith. And many people, because they don't spend time just sitting down and meditating or what people sometimes call daydreaming, and seeing yourself in a victorious, prosperous position, because we don't take time developing a hope, faith isn't motivated. Hope is what actually motivates our faith. And faith only produces what we have hoped for. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. So if you aren't hoping for anything, your faith won't work. Before you can jump right straight into faith, you've got to have hope. And so many people get discouraged and say, well, I just can't be a man of faith. I can't operate in faith. And they get discouraged along the way. Well, if you can't, start hoping. And hope will eventually gender faith. Faith will produce what you have hoped for. And so it's really important to see that. Today, I want to share with you just some more <clears throat> basic things about faith. Let's turn over to John chapter 20. And we're going to share some very basic things about what, how does God kind, God's kind of faith operate. Remember a scripture over in Romans chapter 4 verse 17 says that God calls those things which be not as though they were. And in context, what he's talking about is Abraham. Abraham's name before was Abram. And uh, Abram meant father, or prince, excuse me. Ab Abram meant prince. Abraham meant father of many nations. And when God was telling Abram that he was going to have a child, and through this child all nations of the earth will be blessed, and he was prophesying all of these things to him, at that time, 
Before Abram had even gone into Sarah and she had conceived, before they had a child, nearly a year before they had a child, God changed Abram's name to Abraham. And that is what it's referring to when it says God calls those things which be not as though they were. Most of us would wait until Abraham, or excuse me, Abram had thousands of children and, you know, great nations. And then we would have said, man, you're a father of many nations. But God called him a father of many nations when he didn't even have any children. That's the way that God is. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God calls things first. And did you know that on the first day of creation, light was created? And on the fourth day of creation, there was a source for light to come from. Most of us would have created the sun, the moon, and the stars first and then tell light to come. But God tells light to be and there's light and then he creates a source for it to come from. Amen. Boy, God calls those things which be not as though they were. <laughs> Somebody fall on you? <laughs> Praise the Lord. And so it's important for us to remember this. God calls those things which be not as though they were. And when you're operating in faith, you've got to realize that there is a God type of faith and there is a natural type of faith. And many people have not understood this. As a matter of fact, the church that I was brought up in, they used to teach me that faith is sitting in a chair that you've never sat in before. Faith is driving through a traffic light when it says green and you have faith that everybody else is going to stop. Faith is flying on an airplane that you don't know how airplanes fly and yet you put your faith in that airplane. That's not God's kind of faith. That's a human type of faith and that type of faith will never get you into the supernatural power of God. A human faith has to be based on what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. It has to be based on your sense knowledge. And sad to say, most Christians have that conception of faith. I've had people tell me, Brother, how can I believe that I'm healed when I don't feel like I'm healed? In other words, my sense knowledge is telling me information contrary to the fact of healing. So how can I believe in healing? Well, let me ask you this. How did you believe in salvation? You didn't have your sense knowledge explain salvation to you, and yet you got born again. You had never seen God, and yet did you know you had to believe in God? And yet you couldn't prove God by your senses. Now, you may feel God at certain times, but actually those feelings are not God. Those feelings are a reaction to God. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Contacted through the spirit. You cannot prove God with your senses. Now, anybody who's seeking God and has any spiritual sense at all can see God, all right? But what I'm saying is, when you accepted the Lord, you were born again by faith. And that faith was not of yourselves. It was a gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says that. You used a supernatural faith to be born again because you believed in God whom you couldn't see. You believed in the devil. If you hadn't believed in the devil and hell, I guarantee you many of you never would have got your attention to turn to God. So you believed in God, you believed in the devil, you believed in sins, and you can't see sins. Now you can see people as they commit sin, but what does a sin actually look like? What kind of stain does it leave on you? See, you can't see sins, and you can't see when your sins are forgiven. You believed in a lot of things that you couldn't see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. So the faith that you used for salvation, exactly as it says in Ephesians 2.8, was a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It was a supernatural faith. And that's the type of faith that you have to use and continue on in the Christian life to see results. And sad to say, many Christians are sitting here and they can't believe until they see. That is a very low form of faith. At best, all you'll ever be with that is a follower. 
At best, all you'll ever be is a person that has to have other people do your praying for you, and when they get it, then you'll accept it. Now, you can receive that way. There are examples of that, but that's not God's best, and that's not what we're shooting for, amen? We're teaching you the best way. We're pre teaching you the way that you can succeed, amen, whether anybody else around you succeeding or not. We're teaching you that if the whole economy falls apart, you don't have to have 10,000 people standing and believing with you. You can stand on the Word of God, and you can receive yourself. Here in John chapter 20... Here's an example of this sense-knowledge type of faith, a very carnal type of faith that did not reap the blessings of God. And I'm going to sum up part of this. This is talking about the resurrection of the dead. Jesus had resurrected from the dead. He appeared to His disciples. The doors were shut, and Jesus just appeared inside the room. Amen. And then He said, Look at my hands. And, the, and His disciples believed. But in verse 24 it says, But Thomas... One of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my f finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now there's a number of things. I hadn't got time to deal with all of this. But you need to see that he made a decision of his will. Unbelief is a decision. Did you know you can choose to believe just as much as you can choose not to believe? You, we have been taught to disbelieve God. We've been taught to choose unbelief. It's a choice. He says, I will not believe. You don't have to operate in doubt and unbelief. That's a lie that Satan has sold many of us, and many of us feel like, well, brother, it's just my nature to disbelieve God. It is not your nature to disbelieve God. That old nature is gone, and the Bible says in Galatians 5.22 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Faith is a fruit. Faith is a byproduct. It is your nature to believe God. And if we would renew our mind, that's the only thing that keeps this nature from dominating our entire existence is the fact that we got this unrenewed mind sitting here. And in the natural, we have been taught that, well, you know, like the old song says, Lord, I'm only human. I'm just a man. God forbid. I'm not only human. One third of me is wall to wall Holy Ghost. Amen. I've been recreated. And you've got to change your thinking and you've got to realize that I'm not only human. It is not my nature to disbelieve God. It's my nature to believe God. And the moment you believe that and renew your mind to it, you'll find out that faith is an inevitable byproduct of walking with the Lord and knowing the Lord. It's not hard. Amen. But with His will, He says, I will not believe. He was choosing to go by what He had taught, been taught all of His life. Did you know your parents teach you to quit being foolish and silly and imaginative? Now, to a degree, that's right. All right. What would we be like if all we did was sit around and play video games and goof around all of the time and didn't get into the real world and realize you have to work to make a living. All right, there's, there's some good to that, but at the same time, usually in an attempt to make our children functional in this world, we get them to where they are nothing but what we call realists. They have no vision. They are, they're locked into what they can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. That's the only truth. That's the only reality, and that's bad. Because I guarantee you there's a whole world out there that's a spiritual world that cannot be found through your senses. It has to be contacted spiritually. And so when Thomas said, I will not believe, he chose to go by what he'd been taught. He chose to go by what he had been all of his life instead of the things that Jesus had taught him. Jesus had taught Thomas how to operate in faith. Jesus had taught Thomas that the natural was not always the ultimate. 
Thomas had seen the dead raised. Thomas had seen blind eyes open. Thomas had cast devils at himself, according to Matthew chapter 10. Thomas had operated in the supernatural power of God. It wasn't that he didn't have a choice. It's not that we don't have a choice to live in the supernatural. Praise God, we can choose. If you want to be victorious, you can be victorious. If you'll choose. And once you make the choice, all hell may break loose against you. And man, you may have the fight of your life on your hands. But once you make the choice, Deuteronomy 30:19 says, God speaking, he says, I set before you this day blessing and cursing, life and death. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed after you may live. God gave you the choice. And it's a lie when the devil tells you that you don't have any choice. You don't have any choice whether you are healthy. You don't have a choice whether you succeed. You don't have a choice whether you're bold or not. Whether you're an effective witness, that's a lie. You have a choice. You can choose to be what you want to be. Thomas chose to operate in unbelief. All right, And he said, I won't believe unless I can see. I'm not going to believe that Jesus is alive from the dead unless I can see it with my eyes, touch it with my finger. Unless I can see, taste, hear, smell, or feel, I'm not going to believe. Unless I can base my faith on something that is tangible, I won't believe. Did you know that that's where so many Christians are today? So many Christians know God's Word says, by His stripes I'm healed, but they aren't putting their faith in God's Word. They're putting their faith actually in what they feel. Now, they don't put it in those terms or they wouldn't do it. But that's the truth. They come down, they uh, have the elders lay hands on them, anoint them with oil, do exactly what the Word says. And then, if they turn around and if they don't feel healed, if they don't look healed, they say, I'm not healed. What did they do? They chose to go by what they felt instead of by what God says. You can choose. You can choose to believe. Amen. Well, I want to hammer that point on because some of us think, Brother, I can't do that. I can't do it. You can do it. You were created to live in the supernatural, and faith is a fruit of the Spirit. You can do it. There's people, we're going to give you an example here in just a minute of a man who did this, who wasn't even born again, who operated in the supernatural faith. And I guarantee you what we've got is far, far, far superior to what any lost man had. So Thomas said, I will not believe unless I can touch him and see. And in verse 26, the scripture says, After eight days, again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Let me at least say this about Thomas, lest somebody get down on Thomas's case. He may have had some trouble, but guess what? When he heard that he had missed Jesus, he at least came and stayed with those disciples. And this was eight days later, and he wasn't missing this time. You need to be honest. And if you're in a position where you are one of those that says, I can't believe unless I see, well, at least come and hang around the people who can. Amen? Come and stick around them because you're liable to see something. So don't just turn us off because you say, well, this is too much for me. At least stick around. You stay, oh, uh, Kenneth Hagin says, you stay around the slippery creek bank very long, you're going to slip in. Amen? That's the way it'll be. So Thomas was with them, and then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be with you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Again, see, Jesus is exhorting Thomas to believe. Why? Because Thomas had the choice. Well, I want to drive this home. So many people think faith is something you either have or you don't have. God dumps it on you, and you, you get a good dose of it. Some people are super saints. Some people just have faith given to them, and others are duds. That's just your lot in life. Man, it's not so. 
Jesus exhorted him to believe. Why? Because he did have control over that. If you aren't believing God, if your faith isn't what you think it should be today, if you can't really contact God and walk with God, it's not God's fault. It's our choice. Now, you can make a choice through neglect by just doing nothing. By goofing off, you've chosen the devil. You've chosen unbelief. But you can choose faith. And Jesus told him to be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. His faith was based on what he could see with his physical eyes. Did you know that there's a lot of us in here today that if Jesus was to appear in a physical form, and if there was glory and power radiating from him, lightning bolts coming out from him, amen, and if he was to point at you and just zap you with the bolt of lightning and knock you to the floor and give you a vision and tell you something, did you know that there's a lot of us that could believe? Because that's where we are. That's what we've chosen. That's the realm we've chosen to be in, not the realm we have to be in, but that's the realm we've chosen to live in. But did you know that that is not God's best? God went on and he told Thomas, he said, Blessed are those that have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus put a greater blessing on those that have not seen and yet have believed. You know, when I first got turned on to the Lord, I so longed to see Jesus. And this wasn't wrong. It was a good desire. But I mean, I longed to see him with my physical eyes. I think it was J.R. Paul Hemus, who many of you don't know him, but he's a super brother. He was at this meeting up in Greeley. And this guy was sharing with us that he had a vision. And uh, Phil Driscoll laid hands on him, and he was laying down on the floor, and he heard this voice saying, Come up! And uh, J.R. immediately, when he heard that, opened his eyes and looked around. And the voice said, No, no, no. <laughs> he said, don't open your physical eyes. He said, come up in the Spirit. And J.R. closed his eyes and he went up in the Spirit. And the Lord really showed him some things. But you know, that's our immediate reaction. If the Lord says, you know, I want to show myself to you, we open our eyes and look. But God is very seldom going to show himself to you in a physical form. Why? Well, there's a lot of reasons, okay? But I believe that one of the most important reasons is, is because it's an inferior realm to the Spirit. Now, we have reversed things, and we think, well, brother, it would be great. I believe it would surpass anything. It, I, it would surpass 10 hours worth of studying the Word if Jesus appeared to me in a vision and told me something. Well, according to your way of thinking, it would, but not in God's system. Because it would be setting a precedent, it would be sensitizing you to the natural realm. And God is a spirit. And the natural realm can't convey God totally. When Jesus said, my Father is greater than I, out of John chapter 10... Jehovah Witness and Mormons take that scripture to say that right there shows you that Jesus wasn't God. Jesus couldn't be God because Jesus himself said that my father is greater than I. But what Jesus was talking about is my father is greater than the physical that you see. Even the raising of the dead, even that body that Jesus glorified God with, it could not totally reflect the presence of God. It's impossible for a physical body to totally represent God. And Jesus was saying, God, what I really am on the inside is greater than what you've even seen through this physical body. Jesus even told us greater works would we do than he's done. So Jesus wasn't saying God, that he was less than God. He was simply saying God is more than what you've even seen through this physical body. A physical body is not totally capable of representing God. 
And so if God set the president of appearing to you in visions and dreams, now He will do that on occasions, but if that was the way that He dealt with you all of the time, He would be sensitizing you to the physical realm and you would wind up being a thousand miles behind the person who contacts God in the Spirit and moves in the Spirit. Jesus said there's a greater blessing upon the person who has not seen and yet has believed. Did you know when I saw this, I reversed my prayer. I began to say, God, don't let me see. Amen. I want the greater blessings. I want to walk in the fullness. I want to have the total power. And I quit caring about visions and dreams. Now, I know that there's somebody that may get upset with that. I'm not against them since that time I've had them. But let me go on to say this. I don't believe that a person on a very consistent basis is going to have any visions and dreams unless they're already established and grounded in the spiritual realm. Because it would be detrimental to you. All right, now it may happen on an occasion, but it is not God's norm of communicating with us. The strongest way that God will ever communicate with you is in that still small voice on the inside. So he told Thomas that there's a greater blessing than the kind of blessing that he had because his faith was based on sense knowledge. His faith was based on what he can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. The miracles that we see happen in this church. Uh, we've seen blind eyes open here and things like that. That's good. Did you know it helps people? But it should never be the basis of your faith. You can use something like that to get a person's attention and say, man, I know it's real. But you can't really use that to build faith in a person. Totally. The Word of God is what faith comes through. Now, your attention may be... Somebody may get your attention with a miracle, but miracles are not going to build faith. Miracles simply turn your attention towards God, and it's the Word of God that builds faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Bible does not say faith comes by miracles. Miracles seem to build faith, but what it actually does, miracles put people's attention on God, and it gets them to open up to a new realm, and then it's the Word of God that actually builds their faith. Jesus, in a parable, said that even if a person rose from the dead, that they wouldn't believe that if they don't believe the Word of God, the record that had already been recorded. The Word of God is more sure than anything. And if you are basing your faith on what you can see, taste, hear, smell, or feel, then you are a thousand miles behind the person who's basing their faith on what God's Word says. And again, you can make the choice. Let's look over here in Matthew chapter 8 and contrast this with the faith that Jesus said was the greatest faith he had ever seen. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5 it says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to thy servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Now, here's an instance where Jesus said that he had never seen as great a faith. Now, when he talked to Thomas over there, he said, Thomas, there's people that are more blessed than you are because they have seen, they believed without seeing. Now, what was the big difference 
between Thomas's faith, who Jesus said was not a good faith or a, or a great faith, and yet here in the 8th chapter is the greatest faith that Jesus recorded in the Word of God. The difference was that Thomas based his faith on what he could see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, and this centurion said, Lord, I recognize the authority that's in your Word. I have people under me. I've got authority, and all I have to do is say the word, and it'll happen. He says, you speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. This man put so much faith in Jesus that he put faith in his word. Jesus and his word are inseparable. For a person to say, I believe in Jesus, I love Jesus, I serve Jesus, and yet they don't love the word of God, it's not possible. Jesus is the word. The word was God, and the word... What, the Word was with God, and the Word was God out of John chapter 1. They are inseparable. And this man realized this, that Jesus' Word was just as good as Jesus was, and he put faith in Jesus and in His Word. His faith was based in the Word of God, and that was the greatest faith. This man didn't have to have Jesus come to his house and touch him. He believed the Word of God. Now, I can't overemphasize this, that this is really one of the keys to faith. You have to get to where you put such a high priority on God's Word that God's Word to you is more sure than what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. You believe God's Word more than you believe the Word of a doctor or a lawyer or anybody else. There's a lot of people who say, Brother, I believe God. But you know, when it comes down to it, if the doctor was to tell you you were going to die, you could name 15 scriptures that say, I will not die, but live. And praise the Lord. By His stripes we are healed. By His stripes we were healed. He Himself bore our infirmities and carried our sicknesses. And on and on. You could quote all of those scriptures, but you know what the real problem is? You are more moved by what a man says than you are by what God's Word says. When it comes right down to it, we believe in the natural and in the things that we've been taught to put value on more than we do the Word of God. Most of us believe the news media more than we believe God. Most of you, if the news media was to come on and say inflation's going to destroy us, the economy's falling apart, many of you immediately would be moved to action. And yet God said He would bless the work of your hands, that my God shall supply all of your needs. You know what both sides say, but the words that you act on are what you really believe. What you are acting on is what you really believe. That's what the Bible means in James chapter 2 when it says faith without works is dead. A person that says they believe something and didn't act in it, they're just deceiving their own selves. If I was to tell you that this building was on fire and that we're all going to burn to death unless we get out of here, you, if you really believe that, would act on it. Now, there can be different actions, okay, because there are different levels of growth. Somebody might get up and use their cool head, all right, and try and put the fire out. They would be able to contain themselves and they would act right. Other people might scream. Others might faint. Others might get mad. Others might run. Others might, you know, there could be different actions. But a person that sits there and real calmly says, Oh, brother, I believe that if we don't get out of this building, we're going to die. And they just sat there and said, I believe, I confess it with my mouth and believe in my heart that we're going to die if we don't get out of this building. You don't really believe either that or you just squirrely, amen. You're crazy. 
something's wrong because when a person believes something, there will be some type of action. When we act more by what the world has to say, that it's swine flu season, when that motivates you to go and do all of these things and you start saying, oh no, it's swine flu season, and you start confessing it to other people, when the whole time God's Word says it by His stripes you're healed, you've shown who you really believe. Now that's tight, but that's right. If that steps on your toes, God will heal your toes. I'm not saying these things to hurt you. I'm saying them to open up our eyes. Pe many people are wondering, why isn't faith working? Faith works. We've just been putting faith in the wrong thing. We've been more dominated by the natural realm. A man that we can see and contact with our senses basically has more sway on us than God Almighty just because he's not in physical form. That's where the problem is, the fact that we have conditioned ourselves to believe what we see, taste, hear, smell, and feel more than what God says. That's where the problem is. God's kind of faith, remember Romans 4, 17, God calls those things which be not as though they are. If you want to use God's kind of faith, if you want to get God's kind of results, you're going to have to start using God's kind of faith and using it the way He uses it. You're going to have to start looking at things that aren't as though they were. You're going to have to look at your body, and when the doctor tells you it's sick, just say, well, bless his heart. Poor old guy, he just doesn't know the Word of God. He's a nice fellow, doing the best he can. But God said, and you just get to where you put more emphasis on what God said than what the world said. That's exactly how simple it is. Did you know there's a real tendency among spirit-filled faith people? There's a temptation to slip from our faith being in the Word of God to being things. And the reason that came about is because we all came out of a setting where they had doctrines and they th had things that they confessed, but they couldn't prove it. Now, I do believe that the gospel should be proved. Don will be able to share with you other people, especially on the mission fields. And man, the Buddhists, the Krishnas, the... Uh, all of these, they all got doctrines. You need to go over there with proof and show them that Jesus is alive. But again, I say, all that does is really get their attention. A person seeing God produce a miracle is not going to produce salvation in them of itself. And Jesus himself verified that in this parable again, where he said, if one rose from the dead, they won't believe. Now, they might get scared. They might get convinced. They may go around and start telling other people, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. How can they believe without a preacher? And how can they preach except they be sent? You've got to hear the Word of God. Now, a miracle may get your attention, okay? And I think it's good. I use miracles to verify that God is alive, to get a person's attention. But once I get their attention, I'll go to the Word of God, and that's where they get born again from. Do you know, I, I want to share this with you real quick. This was exciting, but I was on the plane this last... Uh, last Monday with Philip. Philip and I were going to Phoenix to hold this meeting. And we sat down next to this guy that was wearing one of these French-type hats, you know, these floppy hats that flop over on one side. He had a real funny-looking beard. And uh, he was wearing this old Army uh, jacket that had holes all through it, and the guy was a wreck. And uh, we were, I mean, it was, I never sit in the smoking section. I dislike smoking something fierce. But this was the last seats on the plane. Philip and I got right next to this guy. He was on the last row on the window seat. We had him hemmed in. He couldn't have even climbed a chair and had gotten out. And so anyway, you know, I was kind of praying that the Lord give me an opportunity to talk to this fella. And so as he, we started off and I started talking to him, just kind of shooting the breeze. He had lived in uh, 
Omaha. He was now living in Kansas, uh, in Phoenix. He hated the cold. He hated Colorado Springs. He hated everything. And he just was mad at the world. And he wouldn't look at me. He'd just look out the window and he'd talk. He was real weird. I mean, real weird. I'm peculiar, but he was weird. And so anyway, I just kept talking to this guy. And finally, I said, what do you do for a living? And, and he first time he looked at me, he says, I'm a professional welfare recipient. And I said, oh, you are? And he said, yeah, it's dumb to work when you can sit there and make a good living off the government. And I said, good living? And, you know, I didn't say anything to him, but I could tell by looking at him, he didn't have a good living. And I said, man, that's, that's not a good living. And, and uh, he started saying, he said, man, you're crazy for work. And why would you work? And I said, well, for one thing, God said, if you don't work, don't eat. And I began to just share with him from the Garden of Eden. I said, God even created Adam and Eve with things to do. God didn't make you to be a leech on society, but he made you to be productive. God wants you to contribute. I said, I said, what are you helping anybody? I said, you aren't helping anybody. I'm having to work to help support you. I said, people are having to work to support you. And he said, well, you know, the capitalist system can't work unless there's 10% unemployed. I figured I'm helping everybody. And I said, you aren't helping anybody. And I said, on top of that, your self-image is destroyed. I said, you don't. You don't love yourself. You can't sit there and feel productive. You can't get the blessing out of doing something. And I just was talking about God this whole time. And I could tell every time I'd mention the Lord, he would bristle up. Now, he was looking the other direction. And finally, as I was talking to him, this guy, boy, he just kind of swelled up in his chair and turned around and looked at me. And he says... You are talking to a disciple of the Maharishi so-and-so. And he went on and named all this big long name, which later on he translated it. He worshiped. He was a Satan worshiper. And this is what they called Satan was Maharishi somebody or another. And uh, he swelled up and he was telling me that. And when he did, I mean, it was so demonic. It was just like a confrontation, like a challenge. And I said, well, you are talking to a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only true and living God. And it spooked him. I mean, he thought he was going to intimidate me, and I turned it right back on him, and I said, Brother, I said, your God is nothing compared to my God. My God's the only true and living God. He says, what makes you think he's a living God? And I said, well, it's proven. He says, how's it proven? And I said, well, for one thing, history proves it. I said, Jesus is, it's a more verified fact that Jesus rose from the dead than that George Washington was president of the United States. Did you know that? There's more historical record for Jesus' resurrection than there is George Washington being president. And I began to share that. And I, he says, well, Krishna supposedly rose from the dead. He says, they got that in their doctrine, Buddha, and on and on. I said, they got a doctrine, but I said, I can prove it to you. He said, how can you prove it? I said, I can prove it in my life. I've seen numbers of people raised from the dead. I've seen blind eyes open, deaf ears open. And I said, just this last week, I started telling about eight people that were lined up deaf and their ears were open. But anyway, the reason I brought that up is to say, see, I use miracles to get people's attention. But had that man have responded positively, it turned out later he was a high priest in Satanist church, and he was under Anton LaVey, and he was telling me all of his credentials, how high up he was in the Satanist church. And by this time, I, you know, was totally upset with the guy, and I just told him, I said, boy, you are the sorriest representative of the devil I ever saw. I said, if the devil was trying to intimidate me, I said, he picked the worst person he could have to put next to me. This guy was something else. But, uh... 
This guy was an uppity-up in Satan's church, and I used miracles to get his attention. Had he have responded positively, though, I would have had to put the Word of God in there for him to believe, because it's the Word that you believe from. Miracles may get your attention, but the Word's what's going to change your life. And so, although I use those things, you can't get to where you start pointing to those things and try and generate faith, because that generates a human faith that is based on what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. And did you know that there's a lot of churches that have seen miraculous things happen, and because it is so easy to motivate people with that natural faith, once miracles are happening, they point people to them, and they may get the church worked up in a lather, boy, in short order. Everybody may be excited going out and telling everybody, but it's actually a carnal human type of faith and the very first time they lay their hands on somebody and they don't see something happen those same people will be just as easily deflated as they were inflated don't ever be to see that the only thing that you can truly base your faith on is the word of god miracles are great praise god for them use them but don't put your faith in those things let me share one other thing here out of um, luke chapter seven i'm running short of time And this has really been used in my life. There's been times in my life where I've experienced some problems in ministry and things that I've just felt like, God, I can't stand it. God, you've got to do something special. God, give me a vision. Even though I know that's not the best, you know, little is better than nothing. God, I need help. And I've been tempted to go a thousand and one different directions. And boy, the Lord has used this scripture to really help me. This is after John had been thrown in prison. And remember, John had confessed that Jesus was the Son of God. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And when people came and asked him, Who are you? I'm not the Christ. I'm only the forerunner. He pointed to Jesus and he says, Follow him. And they said, Don't you know he's baptizing more people than you are now? Don't you know that the crowds are going to him? And he says, He must increase, but I must decrease. John knew who Jesus was. But when he was thrown in jail, this wasn't what he had thought about, amen. That wasn't what he had envisioned. He saw himself being a mighty man of God and leading, uh, you know, ministering to people. That was a call on his life. And I'm sure he felt like, man, this isn't PTL. This isn't a 700 club, you know. This isn't what I had envisioned for myself. He was rotten in prison. And so John began to waver in his belief in Jesus as being the Messiah. In verse 19, Luke 7, 19, it says, John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Well, there's a lot in that verse right there. If you would meditate on this and see, John the Baptist, Jesus said, Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Among them that are arisen, there has not been a greater than John the Baptist. Nevertheless, he that's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. That means that Abraham, that means Moses, that means Elijah, that means Elisha, that means Isaiah, Jeremiah, every mighty man of God. We talk about Moses again. Why? Because of the miracles that he saw. Jesus said John the Baptist was greater than Moses, greater than Abraham, greater than Noah, greater than all of those guys. The greatest one that had ever lived under the Old Covenant was John the Baptist. And here's John the Baptist shaken in his faith whether Jesus was really the Christ or not. Now that is a startling statement. You need to think about that. If you don't think that you have to nurture your faith and protect it, you need to remember this. 
I guarantee you, you go to live in carnal all the time and you can be shaken in your faith. John the Baptist wasn't in sin, but John the Baptist was overwhelmed with his circumstances. He was overwhelmed with what was happening to him. He had his attention so much upon himself and what was happening that he was dulled in his believing. And so he asked his disciples to go ask Jesus. Now remember, Jesus, out of his own words, said, John the Baptist is the greatest. Jesus respected John the Baptist more than he would of Moses, Elijah, or any of these guys. And yet, when they came, Jesus didn't do something special. Remember, people came to Jesus. Uh, Nathaniel came to Jesus because Philip had brought him. And he says, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And he came, and as soon as Jesus saw him, he said, Behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile. And Nathaniel says, Where do you know me? See, he was skeptical. And Jesus said, Before Philip called you, when you were under the tree, I saw you. Now, I'm reading a little between the lines, but apparently something had gone on under that tree. And in my way, the way I've always related to this, I believe Nathaniel probably under that tree was doing some business with God, saying, God, where is the Messiah John the Baptist is talking about? Because uh, Nathaniel had been there and heard John the Baptist. I believe he was praying and seeking and saying, God, is this Jesus really the Christ? Is he really the one? And then Jesus says, I saw you under that tree. And man, I tell you, that's what confirmed it to Nathaniel. Jesus did something special for Nathaniel, but here's the greatest man in all of the Word of God to date revealed. And look what Jesus did for him. Nothing. Jesus didn't wave his hand and say, go back and John's going to see a vision. John's going to have something special. Jesus didn't do one special thing for John. Matter of fact, it looks like he ignored him. Keep reading here. And it says, when the man were come unto him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And in that same hour he cured many of their infirmities. For nearly an hour's space of time, did you know he didn't even respond to them? Here was John the Baptist, the man he respected more than any other man of the old covenant. I mean the greatest man of God. And Jesus didn't even respond for nearly an hour. All he did was just heal people and continue his ministry. And then when he got through healing all of these people, verse 21, it says, In that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, After nearly an hour's space of time, Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, and that the lepers see, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Did you know that doesn't look like a very good answer? That looks like Jesus just flat kind of put him off. And did you know that if you'll read this in Matthew chapter 11, the exact same thing is said in the first few verses of Matthew 11. After John the Baptist's disciples left, then Jesus turned to the multitude and said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaking in the wind? No, that wasn't what they went to see. But what did you go to see? A man arrayed in fancy clothes? No, that wasn't what they went to see. What did you go to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet, for 
among them that are born of women, there hath not arisen a greater than John the Baptist. He said all of these complimentary things. He said all of these powerful things that would have been an encouragement if John had have heard them, and yet Jesus didn't say them until after the disciples of John had left. That looks really hard, doesn't it? Looks like Jesus was really hard on John. But you know what he was really doing? This is what turns me on. Look over here in Isaiah chapter 35. Remember, John the Baptist knew the Old Covenant. John the Baptist quoted Isaiah chapter 40 when he said, The Spirit of the Lord God, I mean, where he said, I am one, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. John the Baptist quoted right around here in Isaiah. And remember, in the Old Covenant, these things weren't divided into chapter and verse. He didn't read chapter 40 and miss chapter 35. John the Baptist knew what chapter 35 of Isaiah's prophecy said. And in Isaiah 35, verse 1, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Did you know that was exactly John the Baptist's message? He was one preparing the way. He was confirming the, uh, strengthening the weak hands and confirming the feeble knees. And notice, here's what's going to happen. This is a prophecy about the Messiah. Say unto them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Remember in Luke chapter 7, Jesus said, Go tell them what you saw, that the blind see. Right here it says, The eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Luke chapter 7, he says, The deaf hear. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart. That's also quoted in Luke chapter 7. And the tongue of the dumb shall sing. That's quoted. For the wilderness shall, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert, and on and on. You know what Jesus actually did? He didn't ignore John. But Jesus, to the man who is the greatest man under the old covenant, instead of responding and giving him a vision, instead of doing some type of miracle that would have brought John to his knees, and he says, Oh, Jesus, you're God, as he did with Thomas. Jesus, in effect, he said, John, turn back to Isaiah 35. Remember the prophecy? And look at what's happening. He said, In this very hour that your disciples have come, Isaiah 35 has been fulfilled. The Word of God prophesied everything. Do you believe the Word? And he pointed John right back to the Word of God. Why it turns me on. The Word has meant more to me than all of the visions and dreams. I've had some visions and dreams, but did you know I've even forgotten some of them? Maybe that's not good. But there's such an importance on the Word of God that I guarantee you I don't forget those things. And that's where your faith has to be. That's the faith that will reap the greater blessings. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let's stand up. I want us to pray over this before we leave today. Father, we just praise you for your word. And Father, we thank you for this. And I believe, Father, according to this word that we've shared today, I believe that you help us to choose to believe, Father. To choose to operate in your kind of faith, where we call those things which be not as though they were. And Father, I pray over this word that's been sown in our heart today. I believe that Satan will not be able to steal it away, and I believe that it will bring forth fruit. 
some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.